invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 13 to the end of the chapter, conclude our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit this evening, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, that can be found on page 1157 in the Pew Bible. In the course of this letter, the Apostle Paul teaches them that uh, they're justified, the Christians in Galatia, Christians everywhere are justified by faith alone, uh, by God's grace alone, and because of Christ's sacrificial death, he took upon himself the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, and because Christ accomplished such a work on behalf of sinners, we are therefore free Freedom, Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, and we no longer submit to a yoke of slavery. Beginning at chapter 5, verse 13, he writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Bits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Indeed, your word, by the power of the Spirit, pierces our very souls and reveals to us, O Lord, who we are apart from Christ and who we are in Christ. And that in Christ we are free, free from the curse of the law, redeemed, made new. We thank you, O Lord, for your living word that has revealed to us who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. And your word, as it teaches us, Lord, how to walk in Christ, how to walk by the Spirit and in the Spirit, that daily we are to crucify the old man, put to death the old man and to put on Christ, knowing that we have already been crucified with Christ, and that the old is gone, the new is come. And so walking in the Spirit, O oh Lord, 
we pray that you would help us to walk in newness of life, the life that you have called us to walk in, in the fruit of the Spirit. And so may you, O Spirit of God, produce that fruit in our lives, produce that harvest of righteousness as we diligently seek your face and seek you, O God, to put to death the old man and to put on Christ and the new life we have in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, you may remember in the 1980s when Nancy Reagan, the first lady, came up with that anti-drug slogan, just say no. Each first lady has a particular cause that they pursue, and her cause was just say no. It was an anti-drug campaign in schools that went throughout the country, and you saw those banners, just say no. Mrs. Reagan was asked one time by a young schoolgirl, Mrs. Reagan, what do I do if somebody wants to give me drugs? And she said, just say no. And there you have it. The Just Say No campaign started. It became a national and international phenomenon. It was translated into various language, and it was later to use to combat violence and sex before marriage. Now imagine, it's just say yes to everything. Not just say no, it's just say yes. But just say no was meant to curb one's passions and desires for something that brings harm unto oneself. It's true that when it comes to temptations and the desires of the sinful nature, believers in Jesus Christ must say no. Say no. Paul says in Titus 2, say no to ungodliness. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Some translations say, just say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We see that there are two kinds of self-control. There's worldly self-control and biblical self-control. There's a self-control in the campaign. Just say no. Why just say no? What does it matter? Well, for the world, just say no because there's consequences to certain actions. And to prevent certain consequences, just say no so you don't get yourself in a mess. But is that biblical self-control? Let's define biblical self-control. What is it? Like we've done with every other fruit of the Spirit, what is biblical self-control? You see, the word used by the Apostle Paul is not a very common word in the Scriptures, used only twice, but it was very common in Greek literature. Socrates, for example, believed that self-control was a cardinal virtue, curbing one's control, one's passions for lust, curbing one's physical desires in the material world. They thought, the Greeks thought, that self-control was a cardinal virtue. The highest virtue. 
because of the consequences of evil, self-control is necessary to make society run smoothly and well. And so curb one's passions and desires so they don't wreak havoc in one's own life and in the life of others. We have rehabilitation centers where people are learning how to exercise self-control. People go into drug rehab or alcohol rehab centers to learn how to exercise self-control. And people indeed can learn how to exercise self-control from those things. But is that all there is to self-control? Is that biblical self-control? Self-control for the Christian, for the Christian, biblical self-control proceeds from within oneself, but not by oneself. Biblical self-control proceeds from within oneself, but not by oneself, giving glory to God for His power in us to restrain us from ungodly passions. The key there is giving glory to God for exercising self-control. That's the difference between worldly passion and biblical, or worldly self-control and biblical self-control. Who gets the glory? Who receives the honor and praise? And I've seen this in ministry where men and women denounce their lifestyle of alcoholism and drug addiction. But then there are testimonies where they're patting themselves on the back for defeating alcoholism and drug addiction. God wants His people to give glory to Him. Because the Spirit is at work in God's people to exercise self-control over sinful passions so that God is praised and adored. Again, biblical self-control proceeds from within oneself, but not by oneself. It proceeds from the Holy Spirit at work in us. Biblical self-control is not self-dependence or self-will. It is a God-given power and ability through faith in Jesus Christ, to say no to those evil passions and lusts and desires that we have for idols. The Just Say No campaign may have helped the effort to control one's lust for drugs or excessive drink or any other vice, but there's a difference between worldly self-control and biblical self-control. John Piper says the Christian way of self-control is not just say no. The problem is with the word just. You don't just say no. You say no in a certain way. You say no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Christ. It is just as ruthless and maybe just as painful. But the difference between worldly self-control and godly self-control is crucial. Who will get the glory for victory? Will I pat my own back or will I 
praise Jesus. Praise the Lord for his work in me in putting to death the passions and lusts of the flesh. That's the issue with self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit at work in God's people. Will Christ get the glory and praise? Self-control. Mastering that evil desire within you, men, to look at ungodly pictures or videos or tampering with things you ought not to tamper with or mess with. Advertisers and marketers are not stupid. They're pretty smart. I think they know human nature a lot more than a lot of Christians do. They know where your passions lie. They know how to get you. You just look at the home shopping network. Look at the multi-billion dollar business of pornography. They know, men, where to attack you, where it hurts. Young women, they know where to attack you, where it hurts. Finding your beauty in outward beauty only. Magazines that show what a true beautiful woman is. All about appearance, outward appearance. And that you're nothing if you, ha you don't have that. They know where to get you and me. How do we exercise self-control by the power of the Spirit giving glory to God? How do we restrain ourselves from ungodly outbursts and sin? Self-control proceeds from within oneself, but not, one by, but not by oneself. It comes from God, who helps us to restrain passions. So that list there in verse 19 now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, origins, and things like these. This is all sin that proceeds from a heart that lacks control. The heart is not guarded. It gives in to these sins. But the, sin, the, the Spirit enables and empowers us and produces in us the fruit of self-control to defeat the deeds of the sinful nature. Secondly, the uncontrolled life in the flesh. What does it look like to live an uncontrolled life in the flesh? Scripture provides a profound and powerful metaphor of what it looks like to not have a self-controlled life. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says this, 
like a city whose walls are broken down, is a man who lacks self-control. More literal to the Hebrew text, it says this, like a city whose walls are broken down, is he that has no rule over his spirit. Like a person who has no mastery over his own soul, who gives way into every and any temptation. The walls of his heart are broken, unguarded, and susceptible to attack. You see, in those days, walls in cities were important. They protected the city from enemies. It was unthinkable, unwise, and foolish for a city not to set up a wall because they became vulnerable. The wall gave a city a sense of security and control. When the walls fell, the city was defenseless, disgraced, and defeated. They were no longer free, but slaves to their enemy. The author of the proverb compares broken walls to a man who can't control his sinful desires, a man who has broken walls in and around his heart. Congregation, are you guarding your hearts or do you have an uncontrolled life in the flesh? An uncontrolled life in the flesh. Because it doesn't build boundaries in and around the heart. It's a life that lacks self-control over pride, over envy, jealousy, lust. It produces a, a, a harvest of unrighteousness. Listen to what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is a man whose walls are broken down. He has no rule over his soul. This is a man who doesn't rely upon the spirits, upon the gospel, upon the Christ to help him defeat the deeds of the flesh. You see, the seeds of sin manifest its rotten fruit when we walk according to the sinful nature. They are sins that already exist in each and every one of our hearts. Idolatry, hatred, Selfish ambition, envy. There are sins that we are born with. And he lists the sins that have taken root and become sins of commission. Sins that we commit. It may start with a desire for lust. Because we are creatures of passions and desires. The uncontrolled life in the flesh may be able to control the practice of saying no to alcoholism and drugs and sexual morality, but they can't control the internal passions that lie within. The uncontrolled life in the flesh is deadly. It's deadly. Unless it is controlled by the Spirit. What happens, friends, when the walls of your heart are breached and compromised? When you can't restrain yourself in your home. When you can't restrain yourself in the workplace. 
when you can't restrain yourself with your spouse or your children? Are you compromising your walls, guarding your hearts? Who are you looking for help? You see, that's the difference between worldly self-control and godly biblical self-control. Are you looking to yourself or are you looking to the one who's victorious over it and helps you to defeat the sins of the flesh? The uncontrolled life in the, in the flesh flirts with sin. Flirts with sin. Just one more time, I'll engage in this or that. Just one more drink. Just one more touch at the computer keyboard. Just one more touch. Just one more look or glance. Just one more. The uncontrolled life in the flesh flirts with sin. Every time you and I allow the enemy a foothold, there's another way our wall is weakened and bound to be destroyed. That's why the Lord calls us to self-control. The self-controlled life in the Spirit. Jesus exemplified a life of self-control in the Spirit, reflecting the image of His Father in heaven. The triune God is not the author of confusion, but of order, harmony, and self-control. We find self-control in the very nature of God Himself, and the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for the Christian, self-control, the life of self-control in the Spirit doesn't mean an absence of desires and passions. For we were created with desires and passions. But the, the self-controlled life in the Spirit uses rightly these desires and passions to glorify God and does so for the well-being of oneself and for one's neighbor. We see this in, in verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but you bite and devour one another. When you lack self-control and you bite and devour one another, what happens? Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Self-control is restraining oneself for the sake of your brother and sister, your neighbor. It's a restraining love. Just like I've talked about long-suffering love, kind love, gentle love, good love. We have in self-control a restraining love for the good and well-being of your neighbor. The Spirit-produced self-control means that we direct those passions and desires in a godly way to the glory of God. It looks to be mastered by God and guarded by His Word and Spirit. Lord, master my hearts. Be Lord of my hearts. Teach me how to master my affections, not by myself, but by Your grace. Teach me to master my desires.
Teach me, Lord, by your grace to rule over my own soul and my passions and not allow my passions and lusts to rule over me in a manner that is unworthy of the gospel. You know, we talked about the fight this morning, that fight with the sinful nature, the flesh. We're talking about something very similar here. Are your evil passions that dwell within you, are they going to have dominion over you? Or are you going to have mastery over your passions and use them rightly the way that God intended them to be used? And the only way to have mastery over them is to look to Jesus in faith and rely upon the Spirit who sanctifies and produces that harvest of righteousness. Paul says in verses 24 to 25, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's no accident that he concludes the fruit of the Spirit with self-control. A restraining fear for God's Word, a love for His Word, a love for Christ, and a plead for the Spirit to work self-control in us to the glory of His name. The Spirit who produces and applies the work of Christ into our lives. Because when Christ died, friends, we died with Him. When Christ was raised, we were raised with Him. We were raised to new life. And so therefore, walk in the Spirit and by the Spirit. Walk in self-control. Again, this isn't a passive command. This is an active faith that seeks diligently to exercise self-control in one's life. How are we doing with this? Guard your hearts. Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 27. The whole book of Proverbs has a lot to say about self-control. How to control and guard your hearts for your good and for the glory of God. Proverbs 4 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Think of self-control as building boundaries in and around your heart. You're building it up in your heart, restraining you from sin, protecting you from sin. And when we do so, friends, self-control is saying no when it really hurts. Because sin is very easy. Sin is very easy. It is easier to give in than to say no to ungodliness. And so self-control is saying no even when it hurts. When it hurts your passions and the lusts that lie within you. 
Paul says in Galatians that self-control is produced by the Spirit through faith in Christ and is therefore a gift, setting it apart from worldly self-control. And so again, we pray. We pray diligently. We ask, seek, and knock diligently. Asking is asking persistently to the Father. Knocking is asking and doing, putting your hand to the plow. It's not being passive, but acting. Exercising spiritual disciplines in the Christian faith. To live lives of self-control. I just want to conclude with a couple things, three things in practicing self-control. I think first, we need to learn to hate the works of the flesh hate sin. Boys and girls, God says that we can hate something. Hate sin. Hate sin. Don't entertain it. Don't love it. But hate it. Hate the sins in your life. I'm not asking you if you've conquered them. I'm asking you if if you hate them. There's a difference. Because on this side of glory, we will wrestle and struggle with sin. But when we hate them and bring them before the the cross of Christ and receive forgiveness and mercy, relying upon His grace and promising Christ to forgive us when we succumb to sin, and yet we rejoice when we exercise self-control to the glory of God because of the work of the Spirit in us. Hate sin. And plead before God to grant you grace to exercise self-control to His glory, honor, and praise. Secondly, have a plan that's centered on Christ. It's one thing to say, I want to have self-control. I want to learn to restrain my, my sin, my evil passions. But it's important to have a plan. Ted Tripp wrote, A good indicator of whether or not you want to grow in self-control is this. Do you have a clear public strategy? Put another way, if anyone says, I am really going to change this time, I don't think I need any help, then that person has yet to understand the biblical teaching on self-control. It is one thing to make a resolution. It is something completely different to repent, diligently seek counsel, and in concert with others, develop a plan that is concrete and Christ-centered. The heart of any plan, of course, must be Jesus Christ. And I think that one thing that is lacking in our circles, friends, is accountability. Do you have someone that can hold you accountable and grab you by the lapel if he or she has to and say, what are you doing? Let's walk through this together. Let's pray together. Let's rejoice together. Let's mourn together. Let's cry together. Let's repent together. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Somebody that you can set up a plan with? James, at the end of his letter writes, confess your sins to one another. Think about how profound that is. 
by the Holy Spirit-inspired author. Confess your sins to one another. Do you have somebody in your life you can confess your sins to? Because there is great healing in repenting and confessing to one another. It is good to confess to one another. It is beneficial to the soul to confess to one another. In a context of accountability. I'm not talking about the sacrament of confession as is known in one particular Christian context. I'm talking about confessing your sins to a Christian. I've been studying this passage on confessing your sins to one another lately, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes what I think a most profound point in his book called Life Together. It's one of my top three best books of all time. I absolutely love it. And he writes, it's interesting, isn't it? How we can confess our sins to God who is holy, righteous, just, and the creator of heaven and earth. But we have a hard time confessing our sins to one another and we're sinners. And he asked the question, do we really know what we're doing? Do we really know who God is? And do we really know our relationship to one another in Christ? I know I'm belaboring this second point, but it's important. It's important to have a plan, an accountability partner, somebody that you can confide in, talk to. I'm struggling with this. I'm not able to restrain myself in these areas in my life. Pray for me. And part of that is confessing your sins to one another and receiving counsel from one another. We cannot live the Christian faith in isolation, friends. We talk about community and fellowship, but I dare to say many of us live in isolation. Our fellowship may be superficial at times, but it's when you get to the nitty-gritty of the Christian life and you really start digging deep into the Christian life and the Christian experience in Christ, and having that accountability with one another where you talk deeply about the things of God, the things of Christ, and how to walk in Christ. Do you have that in your life? Do you have that? Men, do you have a man that you can go to? Women, do you have another woman that you can go to? Third, think soberly before acting. Think soberly before acting. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. 
Literally, the text says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be sound in mind. Be clear-headed and sober so that you can pray. Be clear-minded and sober. Be Be free from the intoxicating influences in your life. Literally, you can say, be clear-minded and calm. Calm is another word that can be used here. The days are evil. Think soberly. Think clear-mindedly before acting. Think about what James says in James chapter 1. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We would do well to apply those principles in our life. At the beginning of the sermon series, I said that we are not passive in the Christian life, in the practice of the Christian life. We're active. We're passive when it comes to salvation because salvation is from God. Justifying grace is from God and God alone. We are justified by grace alone through faith alone. Sanctifying grace is God's work of producing fruits of righteousness in us by His Spirit. But the Christian is called to work out his salvation in fear and trembling, to not be passive but active. And therefore we are called to live in the Spirit and by the Spirit. Do you want to see these fruits in your life? Do you want to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Do you want to see those fruits in your life? Ask, seek, and knock. In other words, pray diligently. Seek the Spirit of God, the grace of God. Immerse yourself in the Word. Fertilize your faith with the Word. Water your faith with the Word. Water your faith in worship, in hearing the preaching of the Word. Water your faith through the sacraments. Water your faith through Christian fellowship. Water your faith through accountability, Christian fellowship, and friendships. Water your faith through Christian community. All the means that God has given to us to grow in Christ. And the Spirit of God working through the Word of God, producing fruits of righteousness, producing the fruit of the Spirit. Because he says, against such things there is no law. I love what Calvin says about this one little statement here. Against such things there is no law. Listen to what Calvin says. But Paul's real meaning is deeper and less obvious. Namely that where the Spirit reigns, the law has no longer any dominion. By molding our hearts to his own righteousness, the Lord delivers us from the severity of the law so that our communion with himself is not regulated by its covenant, nor are consciences bound by its sentence of condemnation. Yet the law continues to teach and exhort, and thus performs its own office. But our subjection to it is withdrawn by the spirit of adoption. In other words, where the spirit of the law is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And to walk in the Spirit and by the Spirit, we can therefore say against such things there is no law. 
Because when we walk in the Spirit, we walk in the freedom of Christ, who put to death the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The Spirit brings freedom to believers and produces a harvest of righteousness to the glory of God. Self-control, self-control, friends, is that fruit of the Spirit of restraining one's passions and lust from within, but not by oneself. To restrain from the lust of the flesh and to pursue Christ in holiness and righteousness to the glory of God. And when we fall, we plead before God in the name of Christ and in faith in Christ, and we receive His forgiveness because we have not walked in the fruit of the Spirit completely, totally. Have we? We haven't. We have not loved. We have not had the joy. We have not believed the promise of peace. We have not walked in long-suffering love. We have not been kind, good, faithful, gentle, and exercised self-control. We fall in these areas, but thanks be to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty of our sin and receives us and welcomes us and by His blood cleanses us. so that we no longer experience the condemnation that comes through the law. We are born of the Spirit, and we walk by the Spirit. And the Spirit is increasingly producing in us this Spirit of righteousness, this harvest of righteousness. So when you fall, take heart that He forgives. Repent and move forward, because the Christian life, friends, the Christian life, I had my mentor tell me this when I was a young little Christian. And these words were very profound to me and very helpful. He said, Roberto, the the Christian life is two steps forward, one step back. You're always going to move forward by the Spirit of God and the grace of God. And yes, you will fall back at times. You will not love. You will not have joy. You will not have peace. You will struggle with sin. But you're always going to move forward by the grace of God and Spirit of God. We need to be reminded of that when we think about the fruit of the Spirit. He is doing a work in His time, in His way, to His glory. And it will look differently. The levels of maturity will be different in different believers. And we need to be patient with one another, loving one another as God in Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. Let us be a people who ask, seek, and knock, who pray persistently, Lord, help us, help me, help me to know this fruit of righteousness in my life so that I may glorify you and praise the name of Jesus and that people may see me, but not me, but Christ in me, who is the hope of glory. Amen. Let's pray. O gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the Spirit of the living God. For where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And we have freedom in Christ. We have been set free. And therefore, we do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
We pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant to us these fruits of the Spirit, that you would produce a great harvest among your people, a harvest of righteousness and holiness, that we would live our lives to your glory and honor and praise, that we would live our lives reflecting Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. Father, we pray that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, would manifest itself among the people of God here and your church universal. Pray this in the name of Jesus, the victorious one over sin, death, and hell. We pray this in the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. We pray this in your name.